Um, and when those went awry, I really started to question, well, what makes me unacceptable to the boys in my life? And it became a part of my identity that I could have some say in. Um, because, you know, weight starts falling off, you start getting compliments, and that becomes addictive too. That I wish I would have had a really full understanding of is number one, that it's okay as a Christian to struggle. Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do in these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I'm your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. We are talking today about a subject that I believe that the church needs to be aware of. It's a reality. Uh, amongst many in our congregation. Uh, did you know, for example, that there are 30 million people in our nation that suffers from some kind of eating disorder? Uh, if that is true, and it is believed to be true, there's a very good chance that a good number of people who attend your church are struggling with this, have struggled with it, or have someone in their family who is struggling with it. Well, we want to help you today not just understand the scope of this reality, but also, and this is something that you know I talk about quite often, is to see the church becoming a healing community for those who struggle with addictions, with eating disorders, and many others, uh, other kinds of trials that uh, we commonly face. And I believe it's safe to say that the church um, is not always a place where those who are hurting are able to come and to find people to talk to and to even have a leadership that is understanding of the uh, phenomena of that particular struggle, uh, but it needs to be. And we're told by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, chapter 2, uh, chapter 6, verse 2, to carry one another's burdens. And this is, of course, uh, a situation in life where people need others to be uh, carrying their burden with them, to help them through it. Uh, how does the gospel address uh, struggles like this? What does it mean to carry the burden with someone whose life has been impacted, in this case, by anorexia or eating disorders? Well, it's an absolute pleasure for me to talk with a good friend, Heather Lennox, about her own struggle, her own recovery, her victory after many years of struggling through eating disorders. And Heather does more than tell her story, but through insight and maturity, uh, offers the church some very real ways to love those, to help those who are in this battle. Uh, Heather and her husband, Shannon, live in Grafton, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee. They have five children from the ages of one through seven, and it is an absolute honor to be having this conversation with her today. So let's jump in and join her right now. Okay, I have uh, the absolute honor today to be interviewing a good friend, uh, Heather Lennox. Heather, how are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. How are you, Mitch? Doing well. I know you got babies and toddlers napping and sleeping in the background, so this is going to be a little <laughs> bit unpredictable, but uh, you mentioned you had one of them or a couple of them locked up, so I don't know what you meant by that. But we, assume you'll, we assume you'll hear them if they knock, right? <laughs> yes, they knock three times for attention, so okay, there yeah. you go. <laughs> now that I've painted you as a horrible mother, where do we go from here? I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I know I'm not the only one out there who has done that, yeah, for yeah, their safety yeah. and mine. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, we are, uh, man, it's, uh, I, I commented before I hit record that 
you and your husband, Shannon, are really, really good friends of ours. And you're, you're the couple that we would go on vacation with years ago. And, uh, but we've not seen each other for years. And, and since then you've mm -hmm. had, uh, I mean, we've seen each other briefly, but, uh, you've got a number of kids. Tell us real quickly about your family. <laughs> we have five kids. We, ha mm -hmm. um, they range in age from seven to one. And, um, Mitch, you don't know this yet, but we actually have one on the way. Too. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. Thanks for announcing that here. Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, that is awesome. That's uh, a first. Unexpected blessing. Yeah. Well, wow. there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. First time blessing, been, but first time I've been given that information while I'm interviewing for someone for a podcast. <laughs> uh, that is. <laughs> well, now great. that I've thrown you off your track. So no, no, that's. We great. will have a total of six, seven, and under when this one comes in July. Crazy. Yeah, I know because we knew you guys as, as having no kids for many years, and then you had your son, Josiah, who we knew. And then, uh, yes. yeah. And then things went rapidly from there. Well, great. Well, listen, we, <laughs> we are, we are talking today about, um, eating disorders, something that you experienced. It, it's uh, part of your story, a significant part of your story for many years. And, uh, you've shared about this as a, as a testimony of number of times. And, uh, so we'll get there in just a, just a few minutes. This is going to be a bulk of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, just real quickly, tell us your story, how, how you came to faith, and then also as you, as you talk about that, uh, what were some of the early signs in your life that you were struggling with this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are first-generation Christians. Um, we went to a real strong evangelical church in Milwaukee um, and just grew up you know, going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, Sunday night. My parents were part of a Bible study. Um, grew up strong in the faith in terms of, you know, knowing <laughs> all of the stories and the right answers and kind of having an understanding of who Jesus was mm -hmm. and knowing that I needed him in my life to um, get to heaven, mm -hmm. basically. Um, and I knew the right ways to act and the right things to do in order to do that. Um, but I don't know that I necessarily always had a good understanding of who Jesus was for me here on earth now. Mm. Um, he was always, you know, a little bit more distant, I would say. I've been thinking a lot about this lately, how mm. I remember very distinctly reading Psalms when I was a kid and how, you know, David would struggle um, with enemies and being like, I can't relate to that. Like, mm -hmm. no one's persecuting me. And the only forms of persecution I could think of were, you know, things that believers were struggling with overseas. And as a mm -hmm. white, evangelical, you know, middle class girl, mm -hmm. I really struggled to see how any of that could relate to me. And so I think that that just kind of paints a picture of how in some ways disconnected I was from what spiritual battles were and from um, what it meant to be a Christian and to struggle. Yeah, um, Being a Christian and struggling really didn't seem to go hand in hand. Mm. So when I got into high school and started to struggle with depression and um, just some dark thoughts and you know, questions about the world, I took that as a sign that I wasn't a good Christian, that mm -hmm. I was lacking something in my faith, and that that was a weakness on my part, not that that was a part of a human struggle, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, it just, yeah. it was something that made me feel like, oh, I'm just not a good enough Christian. Mm. Um, and in the same realm, you know, as a teenager, you start to struggle with other identity struggles in terms of who am I, what kind of person do I want to be, who am I to other people, 
Um, am I hanging out with the right friends? Do I have friends? Uh, what do I look like? Is that acceptable to other people? I mean, those are just such common mm-hmm. teenage struggles. And to put that hand in hand with my um, already having struggles, you know, with depression and anxiety and just self-image issues, um, I just kind of started to go down a path of self-doubt and not, not really knowing who I was standing because I don't believe that that was a part of my teaching growing up of who I was in Christ Mm. and of being able to place my identity in him. Um, And so I um, really started to turn to outside forms of finding an identity. Um, And that started with relationships with boys, (laughs) as it Mm -hmm. often does, Um, and really trying to find, you know, acceptance through some dating relationships that I had. Um, and when those went awry, I really started to question, well, what makes me unacceptable to the boys in my life? Um, and of course, for a lot of girls, that goes into how you look and how you feel about your appearance. Um, so in terms of, you know, trying to find out who I was, I I started to kind of move into the idea of putting a lot of worth and value into what I looked like. I had, um, people in my life who had struggled with eating disorders who I looked up to, and they kind of were modeling for me a life of dieting, fad dieting. Really, they, you know, were dealing with eating disorders themselves. But to me, mm. it looked very normal and healthy. And as an adult woman, this is what yeah. you should do. Interesting. So mm. I kind of, I kind of threw myself into health, health culture, so to speak. Mm-hmm. In, um, you know, and you were what age at, that, at that time? You were what age? Um, probably seventeen was okay. when I really started thinking about it. Seventeen, mm-hmm. eighteen. Right in there. You know, there was a big, there was a, I remember there being this big cloud overhanging me and going to college about like, don't gain the freshman 15 about how everybody was going to college and they would gain 15 pounds yeah, from yeah. sitting around mm. studying all day. And I, I remember thinking, well, that I can't let that be me. Like I'm already feeling insecure about how I look. Like I can't gain the freshman 15. Mm. So I started doing some research about how not to gain weight. And, you know, it's really interesting how little truth, even we see this in scripture, but we see it, you know, in everyday life too. Little truths can just get twisted in our mind. And I remember reading, you know, you need to exercise more calories than you eat. And so mm-hmm. I started doing math in my head every day and was like, all right, well, if I exercise more calories than I eat, not taking into account that you also need calories to live, to breathe, to just like move around on a day-to-day basis, um, I would make sure that I was eating less calories than what it said on the treadmill at the gym. Yeah, I so heard. it really became controlling and consuming. It became an yeah. obsession for you, didn't it? It did. It did. And it became something that I could, yeah, like you said, that I could control, that I could wrap my mind around. Um, and and it became a part of my identity that I could have some say in. Um, because, you know, weight starts falling off. You start mm-hmm. getting compliments. And that becomes addictive, too. 
people well, start and to that's, notice and you. That's, for the, that's the psychology of this too, isn't it? That you, mm-hmm. you mentioned that it, it is something you can control when it seems like so much is out of control. Absolutely. There's definitely a control battle happening there. Um, and it is, it is like taking a drug in mm-hmm. so many ways. You know, eating disorders are really hard for people to understand because it's like, oh, just eat a cheeseburger. Like, yeah. you look fine. You're skinny. Can't you tell? But to the addict, I mean, there's a high from seeing numbers fall off the scale. There's a high from putting on a pair of pants and them, you know, not fitting because they're too big, like, and realizing, oh, I can go down a size. I mean, just little things like that mm. give you that same, you know, psychological sure, sure. pulse, so to speak, as yeah. a drug addict or as an alcoholic would get. Yeah. You, you um, said something earlier so that was fascinating to me. I want to have you just explain a little bit more. When you, when you mentioned that there was sort of this disconnect in your faith between, you know, obviously you have the promises of of eternal life and, and your faith in Christ gives you that assurance, but it wasn't something you were really appropriating uh, at the mm-hmm. time. What, what, what do you wish you had done? What do you wish you had known that could have made a difference as you were falling into this? Well, I think that one thing that I wish I would have had a really full understanding of is number one, that it's okay as a Christian to struggle. I, like I said, I think that Somewhere in my mind, and it's not something I think that anyone ever told me directly, but somewhere in my mind, there was the idea that, you know, Jesus gives us new life. And so our new life should be perfect. And so when things were not perfect in my Mm -hmm. world, for example, you know, relationships gone awry, not having Mm -hmm. good friends, things going wrong in my family, whatever the case, even just my emotional turmoil as a teenager, (laughs) um, it made me think, well, then there must be something wrong with me because surely there's nothing wrong with God. And so, you know, there was that disconnect of feeling yeah, like and, if yeah, God and, is and, perfect. And at least the, yeah, and the assumption that things should get better and not, not always that they're right. perfect, but at least they should improve. You know, it's, it's interesting. Right. The messages we, we get, we receive even as young children can, can shape this, this worldview. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, like our granddaughter, whenever she's with us and, uh, she hurts. Our tendencies want to talk them out of it, like it's okay. And I've been conscious recently mm-hmm. of just of sometimes saying, you know, that would hurt Papa too. If or when Papa was a boy, he would get hurt and he would cry. You know, and, and it's it's kind mm-hmm. of affirming how they're feeling. I mean, do you, do you feel like sometimes as parents we're we're giving off messages that sort of establish an expectation uh, on kids that oh yeah can eventually lead to this if it's not uh, directed properly? I, I think I think that there's definitely a big part in that. Um, I don't think that's everything, obviously. Sure, sure. But I do think that especially especially in the church, it's easy for us to want to give the pat answers and to want to make everything seem sunshine and rosy because there's a lot about about the world that isn't. And so what do we, you know, we I think we can feel like what do we have to offer if we're not mm-hmm. offering joy and happiness and we think those two things go hand in hand yeah. so yeah our tendency is to use the gospel to talk people out of their struggles rather than allowing the gospel to identify you know the suffering of christ of course is what we give to people as as an identity you know that that christ suffered with us and and he joined right. us. And we're to do that too with people. Well, um, let's let's move on here because there's so much to talk about. Um, when when you mentioned the evangelical church that you grew up in, I assume that's the church where 
I served as well, right? Uh, in in North Milwaukee. No, it's that was a different one. Okay. Uh, no, later actually, it was family, a different one. Yeah. Okay. Later, your family moved to the church where I served. Um, so we we yeah. first met when you were in recovery. The the senior pastor was an associate pastor there, and we went to see you. I had not met you before. I believe that was the first time I met you. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I please understand. I don't want this to, this to be about me and and how I was involved, but just more <laughs> a reference point for me. Uh, when I first met you, but as you look back over that time, how, how'd you look at, at that time? What was going on? Um, what was the journey like just before that? And, and also what followed after? Yeah. Um, so the, so I think, I think you're referring to when you came to visit me when I was in a psychiatric hospital. Is that I correct? So. Yeah. Yeah. I think in a Okay. Okay. Now. My, Right, right, right. Yes, yes. My um, my memory of that time is really fuzzy um, mm. because I was on a lot of medication. Mm. Um, and so I just have little snapshots of memory for the most part through that time. But I can tell you that it was a really dark time. It was a really confusing time. And it was a really identity shaking time because I kind of went from being a church girl, goody two shoes, has it all together appearance to the girl in the psych hospital. (laughs) And, um, you know, I carried a lot of shame, a lot of confusion about, you know, you kind of feel like you're swept up in a whirlwind of how did I get here? What's happening? This is, you know, stuff you see in movies and I'm living it now. Um, And a real awareness of my brokenness at that point in time, I guess, Mm. Uh, kind of slaps you in the face. Um, And so things like, that really stand out to me as positive from that time were the people who loved me through it. Um, And, you know, I had one girlfriend from high school who kept in close touch with me through that time. I had some friends that I had made in college in my first couple of semesters there um, who wrote me letters. And then there was um, the pastoral staff from church who would come Mm -hmm. and visit from time to time, yourself included. Um, And there was just a sense of normalcy that those people all bestowed on me in not making me feel crazy. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, um, it, it was the body of Christ responding. Those kinds of things suffering. felt very right, 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 right. And it wasn't like that from everyone either. You know, there were mm. definitely people who went dark and quiet during that time that I lost relationship with because I just don't think they knew what to do with me. Sometimes when we don't know. Sometimes when Sometimes when we don't know what to do, we retreat, don't we? It's it's safer. <laughs> right, right. Because I was still the same person. I was just coming to an awareness of of the fact that I needed help and the fact that I was broken. I, mm-hmm. You know, nothing had changed, but it felt like everything had changed because I was so exposed. And so those things really kind of carried me through in terms of people just treating me like I was normal. You know, people showing up with a cup of coffee and saying hey let's chat how's your day like but not acting like I was this delicate flower that needed to be tended to you know I just needed friends and I needed people to love me as the same person I had always been were you um, were you conscious conscious at that time what was really going on with you or was that a process oh that was definitely a process I mean when I first arrived in a psychiatric hospital the first thing that went through my mind is I do not belong here (laughs) I am not crazy. Everyone around me is crazy, but I've just kind of gone on a diet gone wrong. Mm. And um, if you just kind of coach me in the right direction, I'll, I'll, I'll get myself out of this. 
And it really wasn't until I started seeing a good Christian counselor through a Christian ministry that I started to discover like the layers of brokenness that I was dealing with that ultimately led to the quote unquote diet gone wrong. Mm. And so, you know, it was a long process of kind of stripping away all of the pretenses. I kind of saw it as like ripping down all the foundations of my faith in order to rebuild them upon what was really true um, instead of I want to say like maybe the cliche Christian answers that I had taught myself to recite so that questions never came up. Kind of what we were talking about before in terms Mm -hmm. of not really having that strong understanding. And so it was almost like everything had to get completely stripped away to the point that I was questioning, is God real? And then once I could really establish that foundation of, I do believe that he's real, I could rebuild everything else I had taught myself over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, there, there's the spiritual uh, path, but also physically you have to rebuild, don't you? And, and even, even right. mentally and physiologically, there's a lot that, uh, that has to happen. Um, I mean, what was the, so if you, if you were to capsulize in, in a, <laughs> probably unfair to ask this in, in a statement or two, what the, the wake up moment was for you where you realized, mm. that, Hey, this is going on. I need help. And this is the help. Yeah. I need. How, how would you sum that up? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty easy question. I actually had a roommate who, um, who I was roommates with in the psychiatric hospital who was discharged from the hospital with a prognosis of excellent, you know, we had like a goodbye group for her and they were like, mm-hmm. if anybody's going to make it, she can. Um, and, uh, three weeks later we got a phone call that she had died oh, while wow. binging and purging of a heart attack. Yeah. Oh, and, um, and it hit me at her funeral <laughs> that this was something real that I was dealing with, that it could actually not just steal my life from me in a way of, okay, I'm going to be in therapy for the rest of my life, but it could steal, you know, my physical life. And I realized I didn't want that. Like I was depressed, but at my core, I didn't want to die. And Mm. so um, that was really a huge moment of, okay, what I'm doing isn't working. I really need help. And I don't think I can do it on my own. And it was kind of then that I really sensed the Lord calling to me and saying, there is a better way and it's going to be through me. Well, wow, that's wonderful. Now, I forget how long it was you ended up in a, in a ministry called Mercy Ministries. Um, mm-hmm. What was that? What was the turning point for you there? And how long were you there? What happened afterwards? Yeah, um, I had a couple of big turning points there. You know, it was really an interesting dynamic to see the difference in the secular counseling I'd been receiving and then the counseling that they offered there. Secular counseling gets it about halfway right. Um, mm-hmm. they, they start to get you in the right direction, but they don't know how to finish it. And the gospel offers what needed to finish it. And so, you know, for example, secular counseling would say, you're like this because you're angry. Here's a hammer, go hit a stick in the woods or, you know, go hit a, go hit a tree in the woods with this hammer to get out your anger. Or, you know, you, you believe things about yourself that aren't true. Well, go stand in front of a mirror instead of telling yourself you're ugly, say I'm beautiful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those things are really not firm foundations to base anything on. So at Mercy, two, two of the biggest um, turning points for me were, first of all, you know, instead of just living in anger and realizing that you're angry, um, they really leaned in hard to forgiveness. And you know, moving that anger a step forward to forgiving yourself, forgiving the people who had wronged you and forgiving God for things that you were holding against him. Not that God needs our forgiveness, but I think that there's times that there's 
situations that have happened in our lives that we can be living in a lot of anger towards the Lord and don't realize that we, for our own health, have to forgive him. Hmm. Um, another huge, so the, I mean, they, they lay that as the foundation of this is the first thing you have to do is figure out why you're angry and forgive those people. Um, and then the other thing that was huge that kind of goes to the second thing I alluded to before is, you know, uprooting the lies that we have in ourselves and um, replacing them, not just with, you know, feel good <laughs> self-care statements, but replacing them with truths that sound in scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, what does God say about me? What does God say about my circumstances? What does, um, who is God, you know, as he's laid out in scripture in relation to my life, my circumstances and what I believe about myself. And, you know, it's so amazing how just having that foundation of being able to find those truths in God, in God's word, like black and white ink on paper can make such a transformative impact on your mind to the point that your behavior starts to change. You know, what you believe about yourself starts to change. And out of that, you don't need to go back to the crutches of your addictions anymore. Um, It's work. It's daily work. I still, to this day, find myself going back to this little set of note cards that I have that have my scriptures written out that kind of fight those uh, original beliefs that I had about myself. And I add to them as time goes on, too. Um, But those were huge transformative times and like big aha moments of realizing, wow, there's so much more offered to me as a believer than just a ticket to heaven. Like God offers me healing here on earth. God offers me forgiveness, not only like forgiveness of my sins, but the ability to forgive other people. And those things are all so healing. And and those are the things that usher me into the abundant life that he's promised me. Um, I don't have to live (laughs) broken. I get to live healed and whole and constantly seeking more of his healing and his wholeness. Yeah, and these are things you alluded earlier that would have made a difference when you were younger. Uh, it it mm-hmm. is interesting, though, that sometimes it takes suffering for us to really capture these truths, right? It really, it really is. I've, I've frequently, I've actually been really refreshed by some friends that I found who have not gone through major suffering mm-hmm. and yet have and yet genuinely understand these truths hmm. um, because I, you know, sometimes I'm like, Lord, are you going to have to take my kids through like yeah, yeah. huge amounts of suffering? Like, Oh, that's terrifying. But I think, you know, God's grace takes us on our, all on our own paths to discover, you know, who he is and who we are in him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, it, not everybody goes through what you've gone through. Not everybody goes through what we've gone through as a family. Right. Um, but the, there's, there's, there's still, I mean, pain is relative and I think everyone experiences some level of, of challenges in life that uh, God allows to happen so that they, they lean on him. And uh, yep. you know, why, why you ended up, you know, experiencing what you experienced doesn't, you know, really make sense other than, it happened and here you are, you've, you've discovered so much about God, about yourself, the gospel underlies all that. I love what you said about, well, I don't love it actually that, uh, you know, the, the secular approach is just, you know, look at yourself, talk yourself out of it, but that's the best that the world offers really. I mean, the gospel penetrates deep. It's, it's about the change of heart, change of mind, change of life. Uh, it's about viewing things through the, the lens of, of God's, uh, God's love. And, um, and as you embrace that, uh, change happens. Um, you, you must, uh, 
you must have opportunity to talk to particularly girls who go through this. Um, what's that been like for you having gone through it and, and, and sharing that with people who are struggling with this? To be able to share hope. Um, mm-hmm. It can get discouraging at times, just in that everyone's in their own phase of a journey and you can't talk anyone mm. into healing. But to be able to offer hope for the next step is huge. And that's really how I've had to change my perspective in terms of sharing with other people is, you know, when I first was in recovery and, and really tasting that freedom, I wanted everyone to have it, and everyone to get it. And I've certainly seen people walk into that freedom since. And yet I've had to back up a little bit and be like, all right, it's my job to impart the hope and to share the truth. And then what they, you know, where they move with it is up to them. And I have to trust the Lord with them as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, it, I hear it, that. I mean, just, to, and- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to remind to encourage you a number of times through the years, I've referred a few people to you and, and you were able to, mm-hmm. to be an encouragement to, to them. And I, 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 if I recollect, you know, correctly here, I think a number of people were really held by that. But yeah, I hear what you're yeah. saying that they have to go through it, and it's not as easy to say, "Hey, I've been there, I came through," and and you're not going to have an aha moment with everybody where they say, "Oh, good, I'm glad I finally met someone who understands," because it is such a right. It is a, it is a very complicated uh, uh, issue, isn't it? It's very complicated, come and so different for everyone. Yeah, I mean, one sentence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with that in mind, what do you wish people understood about the struggle uh, with identity, particularly as it relates to eating disorders? Well, first, I guess just the whole misconception that it's just about weight and the food and people wanting to look good. That's such a shallow view of what it is. And that's certainly what it looks like on the exterior. But as you, you know, as I said before, like kind of strip away the different layers of what's going on, there is there are deep wounds and there is deep hurting that's happening. Oftentimes there's lots of trauma and um, abuse or, you know, sexual exploitation that's happened in these, you know, men and women's lives that has resulted in them turning to this as a form of coping or, you know, gaining that control. And I, I mean, I know it's getting better with social media and people speaking out more about their problems, but I just feel like there's still so many misconceptions about it being very superficial struggle. And so just the the compassion that's needed there mm-hmm. for people who are struggling with this. And not only that, but also what I said before in terms of not treating people who are struggling with these kinds of things like they're weird or broken or, you know, I don't know. It, it just, there's an icky feeling that comes with some of this when you just don't understand it but rather treating them as people who are hurting and who are hurting just like you've been hurting with something, you know, I mean, it's really no different than a struggle with any other addiction, whether it's technology or pornography or, you know, alcohol, any of those things that we turn to, you can even turn to food in a different way and and overindulge when you're having emotional times. And so I guess just trying to approach people, um, as you would want to be approached with anything that you struggle with, just because it has this big title of eating disorder, um, not treating it like it's a icky thing that we have to be scared yeah. of. Now, at, at, having said that, I, I'm curious your reaction to this, because one of my MOs, whenever I, I find myself helping people with different struggles, is I, I will research it. I'll want to understand that. Is that something the church mm-hmm. can do to, uh, or let's say a pastor, leadership team, friends? Is that helpful for them to 
understand the phenomena of eating disorders and because uh, there's so much there are many resources out there that are helpful in understanding it i do think I do think research is good i but I will always say that the best research that you can do is to really listen to people who are either in the midst of the struggle or have been through the struggle because textbooks can tell you so much, but textbooks can also lead to their own assumptions and um, can be pretty scientific. But what you want to hear is the heart of the pe person who's struggling with something and everyone is going to struggle for a completely different reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think research is really important as far as understanding the nuts and bolts of something, but, um, you have to be careful not to let your research be the thing that dictates the course of your conversation, but rather going in, you know, with an open heart to, okay, Lord, show me the heart of this person and what it is that they need from you so that I can guide them to that. Yeah, I, I, that's really good, Heather. I, I appreciate that. I think one of the things that I found helpful was by by resourcing the, you know, for example, cutting, they, they refer to cutting as the new mm -hmm. anorexia. They, they refer to that, I think, about 10 years ago. Because um, society kind of goes through these things in, in waves, I yep. think. And, and as things become norm, more normalized, it seems like there's new things we have to adapt to. And, and, and self-harm or cutting has been one of those. And it, it was fascinating to me when I would counsel people who, who were uh, involved or struggling with that, that, uh, again, as we said about the control issue of eating disorder, is, is they want, they don't, they want, they, they try to, they, they need to feel pain somewhere, you know, because there's so much disorder, so much, right. um, you know, struggle with who they are. And, and there's, there's just, there's a desperation and there's some relief that comes from, from doing that. And, and the same with eating disorder, right? That controlling how much mm -hmm. you're eating uh, kind of in a very complicated way gives you control over, over yourself where there's so much lack of control. Uh, so, but I agree mm -hmm. with you that you don't go to someone and say, Hey, I, I just read up on this and this is what you're going through. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, right. it's helpful right. for you to know that, but, but it doesn't have to be the hand you deal. I think listening, loving, being patient, regularly, you know, showing up and uh, just contacting people. That's, that's really a lot of what we can do. Um, what, what did the church, what did you see the church do that, that was helpful to you? And, and, and maybe generally, what can the church do better to, uh, to help out when uh, this is prevalent, maybe within their own community? Yeah, you know, I feel like I was really fortunate in the, and, and I think that, you know, the church is doing a better job today um, and was kind of going through that transition at the time that I was wrestling through all of this in dealing with mental health um, and understanding mental health. I, I'll never forget the first Sunday that I came back to church. Actually, you, Mitch, were interviewing someone in front of the church who had just come through um, a drug addiction. And it was legitimately the first time I had heard that kind of thing talked about in the church in such a personal way and in such a way that was really about God healing and moving through um, that situation for his glory. Um, I think that um, just having more open conversations about mental health, about separating what is sinful versus what is legitimate human struggle. Mm -hmm. And those things overlap in a lot of places, but, but removing some of the shame and stigma that comes from talking about things like anxiety and um, some of these issues that we wrestle with that can be so quickly labeled as sin without a full understanding of 
you know, where God shows up in that and where the struggle is in that and where, you know, and where all of those things intersect. I think that we have a lot of partial conversations about those. And even in sermons, partial information is given out that can actually be kind of harmful. Um, And I think that as a church, we need to just do a better job of having the whole conversation of educating ourselves and our congregations about you know, what does it look like to be a Christian who struggles with anxiety? What does it look like to be a Christian who struggles with depression? And can you be a redeemed believer and struggle with these things? And what does that look like um, without ultimately putting on the label of shameful and um, not a good enough Christian yeah, because that, of those things? Does that I, make I, sense? It does totally. And and I, I I think I brought this up in like the last three podcast. So I think my listeners are probably going to either get tired of it or get the point of what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And it also in our, in our worship experience, we need to leave room for people to be, to hurt. We need to leave room for people yes. to be sad and, and acknowledge that somehow within the worship context that, Hey, if you've had a tough week, you know, we understand that we're here, uh, you know, rather than expecting everyone to look happy, smile, you know, raise your hand if you're happy here today, you know, and if not enough hands are raised, do it again. Uh, you know, that, that right. isolates people who, who are struggling, doesn't it? It really, it really does. And just being super cognizant and careful when, you know, when things are talked about in terms of emotional, um, emotional issues and, 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 uh, um, mental health, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> issues yeah. are discussed from the pulpit and making sure that, you know, pastors are, really doing their research and talking with people who have struggled and, um, you know, cross-referencing with other leaders of the faith to, to handle those issues really delicately, because you know what, we can, we can have our best intentions and it's so easy for somebody who's in the middle of a struggle to hear something and feel really condemned because of it. If it, if we're just not careful and really sensitive to the spirit and what the spirit wants to say. Yeah. And one of the things I know the church that uh, you and I were part of, actually you were part of two of my churches. Uh, just, I just realized that. <laughs> I mean, I knew that I just remembered it. Um, but I, it's, it's always been valuable to have support groups within the church that, uh, that yeah. if, if someone is struggling, we can say, Hey, there's three or four women here that are ready to, to meet with people like you who are, who are going through these kind of things and, uh, or maybe right. even a, a formal support group for addiction. I know in Milwaukee, we did that uh, more than we did in the church in North Carolina where you were. Uh, but yeah, community is so important in people's, uh, people's healing. Uh, we don't want to isolate people. I, I think we're, we're finally getting past that where we expect people to get help. And then once you're better, come back and then you can be utilized. Right. Even serving out of, struggle can be helpful, you know, that uh, you don't have to be you know, perfectly healthy on the top of your game to, to be helping others and to be serving in some way, whether it's the church or outside the church. Um, you touched on this a little bit, um, you know, the role mm-hmm. of faith. I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the, the role that hope has had in your life. And, and this is the part that you did touch on, maybe expand on it. The, the idea that it's okay to live with struggles, that we know this mm-hmm. life is hard. Hope is what draws us to the promise that ultimately healing will come in the return of Christ. Did that was that significant to you as you were going through all this? Oh gosh, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, even today, like I've so I've I've been walking in freedom for it's been about seventeen years now, I think. Mm. And the 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 crazy thing is is that you know you still go through those valleys you think oh i should be able to get through these things now that i have all these tools and um 
the problem being that we still live in a fallen world and there's still going to be things that happen and even just hormonal shifts. You know, I've, I've had one, two, three, five babies. (laughs) I've had five babies. Number six coming. Oh, but gosh. Yeah. And um, postpartum depression and anxiety has been a really real struggle for me. Um, And it's really at the first time that it happened, it was really hard for me to not go like, Oh no, I'm going backwards. Like you mean they're triggers triggers for you. Yeah. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes. That's a great way of, of thinking, Oh no, I'm depressed again. Like Mm. I thought we went through this, but just realizing, you know, through that journey, like ultimately my struggles are a gift because they are what keep me 100% dependent on the Lord and not dependent on self-sufficiency because it's a really easy thing, especially in our American culture to rely on ourselves and rely on our own strength and, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. But I've come to the point of realizing that I really can't get through anything without fully depending on God. And isn't that what he wants from us ultimately is to be completely dependent on him and not trying to live in and of ourselves. Like, living on our own is really what sin is. And so be, by being able to live dependent on him, it's a gift, yeah. really. Yeah. And right. I don't know that I would be trying to live dependent on him if I didn't struggle with the things yeah, that I was I just going to say, with. yeah, it, it almost requires struggling to depend. I mean, just by virtue of, but you know, the, the stuff we go through in life makes us lean on something yes. more secure than I'm. So here's a verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 2, meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed mm. instead with our heavenly dwelling. I mean, that's the heart of really what we're, mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. Hey, I'm afraid to ask this question because I feel like when I do, your kids might wake up, um, but I'll, I'll <laughs> risk this. How, how has being a mother changed you? Yeah. Oh, um, well, it's made me humble, mm. a lot more humble. <laughs> I, I've realized a lot more of the things that I struggle with as far as impatience and um, selfishness and all those kinds of things. But ultimately, exactly what I said before, it's made me so much more dependent on the Lord, too, because of silly things like lacking sleep and because of big things like not being able to answer their questions when they have, you know, big questions or when they've been bullied on the school bus or whatever. I think it's ultimately drawn me closer to the Lord because it's Mm. made me depend on him all the more. And it's also changed what drawing closer to the Lord looks like in that I've learned a lot more, you know, I used to spend hours just drenching myself in scripture. And as much as I'd love to do that right now, I don't tangibly have the time. And, you know, people will say, Mm -hmm. Oh, you can make the time you can get up earlier, all that kind of stuff. But there there comes a point where just calling out his name Mm -hmm. is what being Mm -hmm. dependent on him looks like. And then drawing back on those years when I was able to drench myself Mm -hmm. in scripture And having, you know, that kind of grace for myself. Yeah, I love um, that. How how, um, how are you going to have this kind of conversation with your children as they get older? Yeah. You know, about what you went through. I think. You, you thought about that? I have thought about it. You know, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty open book with them now in terms of when I'm struggling with things on a daily basis in terms mm-hmm. of mommy's having a hard day. Yeah. That's you good. know, mommy, mm-hmm. mommy just doesn't feel good today. Um, You're hey, getting on my nerves together? right hey. now. Well, I, I don't know that I've <laughs> used kidding. those I'm words, <laughs> just <laughs> but kidding. you know, I've said things like, like mommy's overwhelmed or mm-hmm. uh, mommy needs a couple minutes to just breathe in the bathroom by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like those things are the foundation for being okay with struggle. I don't want my kids to grow up thinking, 
I tried to be perfect or tried to hold it all together. I want them to see a real tangible version of, of depending on Christ. And sometimes that looks like, you know, when we're in those hours before dinner time, when everything gets crazy saying, Hey, let's turn on some worship music and dance mm-hmm. around the kitchen. Like mm-hmm. just trying to, to guide them towards what I should be guiding myself towards, or, you know, at the end of the day, praying together for forgiveness for the ways that we've wronged each other. Um, and just modeling that when I pray with them in the evening, you know, saying, gosh, you know, Lord, mom, mommy had a really short temper with everyone today. And could you just give her strength to do a better job tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you are, you're, you're giving so, kids permission to be raw, to be very real as they get older. They've, they've, they've increased this capacity to express themselves because they've seen that modeled in a very real way. Yeah. You're not isolating your, yourself from your kids. You're, you're being very, you're living this out right. together, you know, as a family. And I would hope that, and I would hope that that would naturally flow into conversations about the specifics of my struggles in the future yeah. as yeah. they start to struggle with, uh, you know, the same things that, mm-hmm. that my openness will allow them to be open um, without burdening them, hopefully yeah. Yeah. with, you know, my struggles, but at the same time, at age appropriate levels, being able Mm -hmm. to kind of communicate the truth that it's okay to not be okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Well, to wrap this up, what scripture has been especially meaningful to you uh, through your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, um, there are a number of them. Um, One of them that really stands out to me. And of course I did not write down the reference, but I believe it's in Psalm 107. Um, something that was really hard for me early on, as I said, was like being able to relate to scripture in a lot of ways, because our struggles today just feel so different from what struggles were for David in his time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really mind blowing to me to be reading through scriptures and stumble across in Psalm 107, where it's written, um, they loathed all food and drew near the gates of death, but they called out to the Lord in their trouble and he healed them from their distress. He sent forth his word and he healed them. And he saved them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds toward men. And when I read that, the words just leapt off the page mm. at me that that could easily be David talking about an eating disorder. Mm. Now, I don't think that that's what he was talking about, but it was definitely the Lord speaking to me in that moment and saying, it's going to be my word that's going to bring healing in your life. And I've hung on to that. Uh, at least, the, you know, I've hung on to the truth in that, that regardless of what I'm going through, that his word and the truth of his word um, and spending time with him and, and reminding myself of his word, whether it's through song or reading or, you know, memorization, those are, those are the things that are going to continue to keep me grounded in the truth um, and have been a huge encouragement in my life. I love that. That's uh, I wrote that down. I'd like to put that in the, in the content uh, of the, uh, the website for this podcast, Heather. That's really great. Um, hey, any any final thoughts here before we uh, we wrap up? I guess I would just say that if someone is struggling with this, that it's not something to be ashamed of. Um, or if you have children who are struggling with this, it's not something, as I said, and think maybe you taught them something wrong or did something wrong. But there's so many influences in the world that you can do absolutely everything right. And still struggle as we were just yeah. talking about and yeah. you know still have children who have struggles and so ultimately to not use anything that was shared today or anything that you know you hear elsewhere to bring shame and condemnation upon upon yourself but rather to turn it into all right lord what now where from here and um 
to turn it into dependence on him so that he can bring the healing. Like, ugh, it's just, there's so many ways that the enemy wants to shame and condemn us, but instead let's make it conviction and, 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 and dependence and let him be the one that changes us. Cause that's ultimately what he wants. Yeah. And I, and sorry for bringing up something here that could cause us to talk a little longer, but the, the role of family <laughs> in the healing is important too, isn't it? Particularly mm-hmm. if it's a younger child, uh, the family's going through that together. It's not just the independent child. How, how do you address that? Really? Yeah. I mean, I think that allowing your child to know that you're in the struggle with them, mm-hmm. not making it about them and their problem, um, but rather how can we work on this together? You know, how can we, um, how can we help you? And if that means that maybe they need a little space and time for themselves while they're, you know, working with a professional, um, respecting that, but mm-hmm. also, you know, continuing to confess that you don't have it all together and that you're, you, you want to work on yourself while they work on themselves, I think can be a really, really strong example and a really, uh, just to create a healing environment for, you know, your family member yeah, to thrive it. in. I love that. Well, Heather, man, we covered a lot in a short period of time and you did a great job sharing it. So thank you so much. Thanks for sharing your story. It's, uh, I know it's, it's, it's really just giving praise to the Lord Jesus for what he's done through your life. And that's, that was so clearly mm-hmm. evident in the way you shared it. So thanks so much. Mm. Well, thanks, Mitch. It was an honor to share. Yeah. Always. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Uh, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions about anything we've talked about today or previous episodes, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.